With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Better Than Before program. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and I want to talk to you about seven practices to keep your team winning. You know, a winning team is fairly easy to identify. Something about the way they get along with each other, they carry a special swagger and confidence about them, the way they go about their business. And you can also very easily spot a team that isn't winning bickering, infighting, finger pointing, blaming, dissatisfaction everywhere. And most people are just trying to survive for themselves as individuals. They're just trying to get through it. Well, as leaders and executives, here are seven things that I feel we can put into practice to help keep our winning teams winning. And we can also turn around those teams that maybe they've experienced a decline or they've got that defeatist attitude or that dark cloud hanging over. Number one, the first thing I think you have to do is you have to get alignment. You as the leader need to make sure everyone on the team has goals that are aligned with each other and with the organization's goals. How can you monitor progress So you can help with coaching and course corrections along the way to make sure everyone arrives at the same place at the same time if you haven't properly clarified and aligned the goals with each other. And I find the best teams are dependent upon each other's goals. They have to work together in order to succeed. When an executive can just do their own work and succeed on their own in their own part of the org chart, that can create silos. So you got to make sure that you get alignment for those people that somewhat interdependent upon each other. And also when you're communicating any change for the organizational's direction, anytime you're communicating a change on the focus, anytime you're communicating a change on the priorities, it's also something you need to be able to articulate and communicate with them quickly, clearly, and is in alignment with what you've already agreed on. Number two, conduct employee performance reviews more than just once a year. So many companies and organizations still just do them once a year, and some people do them uh, like never. More frequent review sessions gives the team member a chance to talk with you about what they're doing well, 
any gaps they might have in their performance results, any competency improvements they need to make, and so on and so forth. And you know what? It also allows the leader some teaching moments when you have people who their results might be lower, their performance might be not as good. It gives them more chances to improve their skills and improve their results, and that's going to help your overall team come up a few notches, right, if you do that. Number three. Provide ongoing feedback to maximize performance. Giving feedback is the one skill every leader needs to improve. It's not something that we do very well at all. Giving feedback should happen daily and plenty of interaction. It isn't a one-way conversation. It's a two-way conversation. When you wait around and delay in giving feedback in even more frequent performance reviews, it's just not going to do it. Feedback needs to happen in game situations, in real time. You know what I mean by game situations? It's like right then when whatever happens, happens. And you need to, it needs to be right there in real time and let the team member know that you care, that you're listening, that you're watching, that you desire to help them get better in their performance. Ongoing feedback helps everybody. It helps everybody as long as it's given in the spirit of helping and you stay relentlessly positive when you give it. Number four, invest in performance improvement development. Yep, here's my plug for development, right, and coaching. It's like taking the right supplements with your diet. It helps in ways you can't even imagine. Improving performance, increasing awareness, building trust, increasing confidence. It goes on and on and on. I actually had an executive team member tell me once when we were talking about working together. So it's a prospect, right? Not a client. And he said, well, I talked to our CEO and and probably my first mistake, not talking to the CEO, but he said, I talked to our CEO and he just doesn't feel like we need coaching. And I thought, Brother, everybody needs coaching. Everybody needs coaching. Everybody needs a coach. Uh, you just do. That's a fact of life. And your improvement results are astronomical when you get coached by a professional that knows what they're doing. Number five, identify and reward high-performing employees and performers. Yes, I very much believe in differentiation you must be fair, but you do not have to be equal because results are not equal. Uh, effort is not equal. Client lists and things of that name are, uh, nature are not equal. It's never going to be equal, but it does have to be fair. If you don't clearly identify and reward when someone is hitting the mark or going past it and overperforming, what's the incentive for that person to do better? There isn't one. Also, knowing and being able to clearly identify who your high-performing team members are is critical. These are the people that you cannot afford to lose as long as they are living your values and hitting their marks. If they're hitting the marks but not living your company values, you cannot afford to keep them around because other people look at them and they think, oh, as long as I bring the bacon, I can do whatever the heck I want. And that is not what you want. You want people who bring the bacon 
and also live the way you want them to live inside the organizational hierarchy. You want them to stay in their lane. You want them to exhibit the behaviors that model the values that you want every employee to hold near and dear to their heart. Clearly identifying and rewarding the behavior you want is critical. Clearly identifying and rewarding the behavior you don't want is a success for failure because behavior will not change if not challenged and behavior that is rewarded will be repeated. And that goes to the positive and the negative. Number six, you need to have a succession plan. You need to be able to replace critical people at all times, not just when somebody leaves, not when somebody quits, not when crisis strikes. In fact, you need to have a plan that's ready all the time because you're going to lose people. You just are. People are going to move on. People are going to take better positions. People are going to take different positions. People are going to retire. People are going to just quit. A vacant spot on your team, which represents essential skills, is going to create a gap that will cripple you and your execution. So keeping your talent pool fresh, keeping it stocked, keeping it developed is an activity too many of us do not properly utilize. Number seven, last one, balance effectiveness and efficiency. And yes, I got this one from my hero, Peter Drucker. You need to balance doing the right things and doing things right. The recession that we had back in 07 or 08 clearly forced people into doing activities and thinking of leaders in a more efficient way. So they started getting into efficient mode, right? But you cannot forget about effectiveness. you got to make sure that your efforts uh, are not being expended doing the wrong things very right. Start with making sure that you're doing the right things at the right time and doing them as right as possible. It can very much hurt you if you're hammering the nails as hard and fast as you can if they're the wrong nails and it's the wrong wall. I hope some of that can help you. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The 2021 Subaru Forester, a spacious interior with everything you need for confidence on the road ahead. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. It's the SUV for all you love. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com.
Welcome back to Better Than Before. Here in this part of the show, I thought I'd give you five common behavioral blind spots that I see or have seen in executive teams. Here's number one, avoiding tough decisions. When a tough decision comes up, the executive wants to avoid it or shove it off or delay or procrastinate in making the tough call. So there are only, you know, three or four things you can do with this as a coach. Here's what I try to do when I'm with an executive that's having trouble making a tough decision or continues to delay action. So the number one thing I try to do with them when I'm coaching them is I try to tell them, get as much information as you can. That way you're going to feel good and have some confidence about your final decision. And the most difficult decisions always have to do with people, you know, when people are involved. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, depending on the relationship that you have with the person and so on and so forth. But you're going to have to make the decision and do not get trapped into thinking you don't have enough information and thinking that if you just wait a little while longer, you'll get more info. Or maybe if you wait a little longer that this situation will just dissipate or go away or get better on its own. And, you know, you're never going to know everything you could possibly know before you make the decision. So you have to be comfortable in that you know, I know what I need to know and I just need to get on with deciding what to do here. And once you've made the decision, you need to communicate that if if it's appropriate. Communicate your decision with your team as necessary. Uh, some people decisions, you probably don't need to communicate all of it uh, because you may be violating some employment law when you do that or or something. But at least as much as you can, try to help everybody understand. And chances are, most of the time, the team already suspects and knows that uh, something should have been done quite a while ago. And most of the time, they're trying to figure out why you haven't taken action. So that's not as big a deal as you possibly think it is. And finally, once you've made the decision, move on, get past it. Uh, get on the road to moving forward, get on with being productive and, and put it all behind you. I mean, that's really, really important. I mean, leaders don't always waste a lot of time on the front end. Sometimes they waste a lot of time on the back end after it's over. And when it's over, it's over. Move on. You know, managers typically don't deal with tough decisions the right way. And employees have seen that a lot. So their expectations on their superiors making tough decisions is really low. So uh, how you deal with a tough decision is going to make or break your team's confidence in your leadership. So that this is a really, really important thing to deal with. And uh, when you make these decisions, it's going to free up your mind for other things. You can be more productive, and ultimately, that's going to make your team more productive as well. So avoiding tough decisions, we need to work on that, fix that behavior, and move on. Number two behavioral blind spot that I see with clients uh, is that they become overly critical. Uh, being overly critical of yourself dramatically affects your self-confidence and uh, causes you to think poorly of yourself and it clouds and colors the world around you in a bad way. When you're overly critical, it manipulates your thoughts and your thoughts become more cynical 
and sarcastic and in the long run that prevents you from enjoying the things that should be making you happy you become you begin to not be able to enjoy life and work in the way that you really should because you've got this very critical voice in your head uh, criticizing everything and being overly critical about every situation that comes down the pike here are some signs that I look for in an executive or a leader who may be uh, becoming more, more overly critical than they should be. They second-guess themselves. They second-guess other people. They pick themselves apart. They pick other people apart on every little thing. Uh, they don't enjoy much of anything. They're uh, never quite satisfied with anything. Nothing's quite good enough for them. Uh, they have a very difficult time taking compliments. Um, they're irritated a lot with just about anything you can imagine, and they complain a lot. And so uh, they're kind of like the the kid on the Charlie Brown cart, the Peanuts cartoon. The Charlie Brown ca cartoon has the dark dust cloud following them around all the time, except the dust clouds in their head, right? It's it's dirtying up and clouding up their thinking. And everything is just not good. Now, so, some ways that you can work on this and, and coach this and try to fix this is lighten up. You know, just lighten up. Give yourself a break. Give other people a little break. And once you start to lighten up a little bit, you reinforce those positive behaviors. If you focus on the good behavior you want to reinforce, not the bad behavior you want to eliminate, that breaks the cycle, right? So you can't stop being critical. At the same time, you have to start doing something else. And it's it's better to start doing the good than focusing on stopping the bad. So notice the good in your family. Notice the good in the people around you. Notice the good things that happen. Make a list of some good things that happen. And this is a tough one to break with people too. I mean, I have to really bear down as a coach to really, you know, I'm, I may have to sit down with the client and say, all right, we're going to list three to five really good things that happened to you today. Uh, or what are three, three or four things that are really good about being alive and going to work today? What is one or two things that you could really look forward to today? And so you, you really have to keep injecting those positive, good, gratitude-oriented thoughts into their head because the longer they've been doing it, the longer they've been overly critical, the more difficult it is to break that habit. And I don't know if you've ever seen the show uh, Seinfeld where George did the opposite so every time he went to go to, to do a situation he did the opposite of what he would normally do and he got great results that is what your guidelines should be when you're overly critical when you start to be critical do the opposite right be complimentary or be appreciative and uh, do an act of kindness so choose a positive interaction instead of a negative one Number three blind spot in executives that I see or coach does not hold people accountable. So accountability is huge. It is, uh, I have come to believe it is one of the most critical ingredients for success in an organization. If there is no expectation of accountability and that isn't clear and communicated and followed through on, that organization is nowhere near producing the kind of results that it could. So 
when you're having trouble holding people accountable, here's some things. If, if I were your coach that I would talk to you about doing, I would talk to you about setting up follow-up times and appointments. So if you have people that you want to enforce accountability with, set up your times that you're going to follow up with each other for status updates and those appointments. Make sure you show up and follow up and you're engaged. Don't cancel them. Don't get too busy. Don't uh, push them off for something else you think is more important. Just follow up on the check-in when you agree to with your person. Then you need to be consistent. If you're going to follow up weekly, follow up weekly. If you're going to follow up every two weeks, follow up every two weeks. If it's a monthly check-in, do it monthly. Whatever you agree to, be consistent. Don't short-circuit it and change it at the last minute. You have to get the rhythm and flow down. And um, once you set the timing and the frequency of the follow-up, make sure you do that. Don't follow up one time and then they don't hear from you for three months and then so on and so forth. Set the timing, the frequency, and do it. Ask about actions and results. So I know the big thing in business today is results. Like, listen to this example. If a salesperson makes lots of sales calls and works hard, that's a behavioral action, and it needs to be recognized. If they're not selling, and they're, then they failed on results. Some leaders have a hard time distinguishing between actions and results and the accountabilities of each. You need to hold people accountable for both because there is a sequence of events that need to be acted upon that are best practices to get the result. So you need to make sure you're holding people accountable for those sequences and events and those actions and also the results that they produce. Another little piece of advice I'd give you is don't move your standards around. You're going to get what you expect to get. And if your expectations are low, you're going to get low. If your expectations are high, you're going to get high. So uh, be sure to let them know what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and act accordingly. If you have to apologize, I suppose that's okay. I often wonder why the leader is apologizing uh, for the lack of results. But if you have to say something like, I'm sorry, but this is not acceptable, then that's what you have to say, right? So act accordingly. Don't move your standards around. Make sure they're very clear and have been communicated and understood and authenticated that that is what your expectations are. And then have some kind of formal system for coaching results. Be sure to be on the same page with your HR department, but uh, make sure the steps to reward and the steps to punishment are recognized and communicated. So they know which way they're headed. They know when they're headed in the direction of success and they know when they're headed in the direction of failure. When you have to let somebody go, it should not be a surprise. They should know what direction they're heading at all times and in every interaction with you on accountability. Number four, this is a hard one, uh, but some executives, and this a lot of times is in their blind spot, believe it or not, but they have anger issues. Anger issues. How do you deal with anger? Well, uh, this, is, this is in the wheelhouse of EQ, emotional intelligence. And so if you get better from an EQ standpoint, that will enable you to start taking a few moments to collect your thoughts. You'll learn to self-regulate before you say anything. 
and it will allow the situation to then regulate with you. So the situation is going to respond or react to the way that you're doing it, right? You're going to be in, in the impact zone of that situation. So if you're out of control, the situation is going to be out of control. If you're in control, the situation is going to be in control. So if you self-regulate yourself to take a few moments to collect your thoughts and you don't fly off the handle, the situation will regulate itself to that. And once you've stabilized both yourself and the situation and your thinking is clear, then you can express your frustration in an assertive but non-confrontational way. You can tell them your concerns. You can tell them what your needs are very clearly and directly without hurting their feelings and without it sounding like you're trying to control them. You see, anger is something that we use to try to gain control. When we feel like things are out of control, we get angry. And anger is the tactic that we use to try to regain control of the situation. So if you will self-regulate yourself to be in control, anger won't be needed, right? If you regulate yourself to be in control, anger won't be needed. And if you're telling yourself, I don't know, I just have to be angry, then you're lying to yourself. You don't have to do anything. You choose to be angry and you also choose not to be. So let's keep it in perspective. I often recognize if you're having anger issues, you may not be exercising enough because physical activity can help reduce that stress you're feeling. It can help uh, bring that anger down. Uh, that stress can be causing that anger, that frustration that you're not in control like you'd like to be. And if you feel your anger going up and escalating, maybe you need to go for an exercise or maybe you need to walk around the building. Or maybe you need to spend some time doing something else that you enjoy that's physical, right? And if you give yourself a few short breaks during the times of the day that tend to bother you or aggravate you or make you stressful, then a few minutes of quiet time might help you. It might get you better prepared to handle what's coming up. Never go into a meeting that's neutral when you're angry. You're the catalyst. If you take your anger into that meeting, what do you think is going to happen to the meeting? The meeting is going to go toward the distasteful, anger, bad meeting side. If you go into the meeting neutral, the meeting will stay neutral. If you go into the meeting happy, the meeting will tend to go toward a better place, right? So if you walk into every meeting thinking the meeting's neutral, then check yourself about, you know, what are you going to be as the catalyst for that meeting? And number five, oh, this is... This is one I, I've saved the best for last year. But number five blind spot for a lot of leaders is they want to be everybody's buddy and friend. And as human beings, we have social needs. We need close, supportive connections with other people. Um, unfortunately, that is not what drives a boss-subordinate relationship. The boss-subordinate relationship exists to accomplish work. If something prevents a direct report from doing their job, then that relationship goes into a rocky status. And if the direct report continues not to perform, chances are the relationship will come to an end. 
And most people, when they think about relationships ending, become very sad because relationship is equal to friendship. But it can't be that in the boss-subordinate relationship, right? Bosses and direct reports are not equal inside the organization. And friendships cannot survive status inequality. So very few people are friends with other people that don't share their same status. Birds of a feather flock together, you know. And inside an organization, those statuses are wide and varied. And many times a friendship can really suffer from that status inequality. Friends don't actively evaluate and try to change each other. You know, you don't get together for a poker game, have a few cigars, and critique each other. That's That that doesn't happen most times unless you're going to different parties than I go to. They don't make their friendship contingent on change and, and improvement. You know, you don't sit down with your friend and say, listen, you're going to have to improve in some ways or we're going to have to part ways. You know, you don't you don't do that, right? But if you're going to be an effective leader, that's what you do constantly. You're constantly assessing people's performance. You're constantly assessing their abilities. And you're pressing them in a good way to grow and change. And that creates pain. That's why we call it growing pain, right? And uh, most people's friendship cannot endure pain uh, between each other. Uh, Here's another thing. Friends are not always checking up on each other. You know, you don't have to tell your friend where you are and what you're doing but your boss that's a different story Uh, managers press their people to give progress reports they press them to evaluate themselves they press them for commitments to future results Uh, friends have expectations of each other but they're usually the same and mutual and they're not very demanding most of the time right what should the boss and subordinate relationship be then? Well, very few people take the time to define it, but I'm, I'm going to try to define it for you today on today's show. The boss-subordinate relationship should never lose sight of one simple fact. It exists to accomplish work and generate results. It is a means to an end. You and your people need to connect as human beings, but always, in the end, the focus has to be on the work. And of course you need to be friendly. Nobody wants to work for a cold, distant, uncaring jerk. But ultimately, not friends in the true sense of the word friends. It has to be supervisor and supervised. That is the relationship that is focused on the work and the results that the work produces. That is what the relationship basis needs to be about. So quickly recapping these blind spots, and maybe you heard some for yourself uh, today, but here are five behavioral blind spots I see in people, leaders, executives, as an executive coach. I deal with these issues every single week, I promise you. Number one, avoiding tough decisions. Number two, being overly critical. Number three, doesn't hold people accountable. Number four, anger issues. And number five, wants to be everybody's friend. We'll continue our discussion on Better Than Before right after this. 
The 2021 Subaru Forester. A spacious interior with everything you need for confidence on the road ahead. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. It's the SUV for all you love. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and leading a team brings with it, as you probably know, a number of challenges and can feel like no matter what you do, somebody's going to be hacked off, somebody's going to be PO'd, somebody's going to be unhappy. So if you're going to succeed as a team leader, what are some of the qualities that are going to be essential to your success? Here are just a couple. Number one, great active listening. So in my opinion, someone who's awesome at leading a team will inspire others to listen well by example. If you want others to listen well, then you have to be someone who listens well. Good eye contact, some repeating of what you've heard just to reiterate and make sure that you're clarifying what is being said and that you're understanding and there's alignment in the discussion and in the conversation these are all great things to do as an active listener. So number one is great active listening. Number two, treating each individual fairly. Not treating everyone fairly, which some people might interpret as treating everyone equally. Uh, I do not. I don't think you can treat everyone equally, but I do think you should treat everyone fairly. Um, you've probably seen this in sports. Not all players... Uh, have the same amenities. Not all players have the same salaries. Not all players have the same benefits, but the manager of the team does try to treat them fairly, even though they're not treated equally, right? So number two, treat each individual fairly in all your dealings. Number three, have a very clear direction. Before giving instructions, make sure you, the team leader, has a very clear idea on the direction that you want to go in. Make sure you're not groping around hoping something takes shape or you're waiting for something to happen or you know, you're figuring out as you go that's equivalent to riding in the back seat and someone else driving having no idea where they want to go. That's very frustrating. So number three is you need to have a very clear direction. Number four, you need to be able to articulate and give very clear direction. So can you clearly articulate the direction you want to take your team precisely 
and very succinctly and very clearly. Remember, there are people following you. Have you ever pulled out of a parking lot and you were going to follow somebody and they just ran off and left you? And then you're like, oh, man, now I don't know exactly where I'm supposed to go. Well, as I pointed out in point number three, the people following along and the cars behind you do not want to feel like you're trying to find the place yourself. They want to know you know exactly where you're going and you'll go at the appropriate pace that they can follow you to the destination. You won't buzz through the light uh, or you won't make a, a turn on two wheels through a light while you're trying to beat the yellow. No, your intention has to be to stay within eyesight of the people behind you so they can follow your lead in your direction. Number five quality of awesome team leader is good decision-making ability. So you ask yourself, how good are you when the chips are down? How good are you when the pressure is on? Can you clearly identify the 30% of your decisions that you'll get right and how important those are? Hopefully the 70% of your decisions you will get wrong will be allocated to very small and inconsequential decisions. Number six quality, strong, genuine interest in people. The influence loop begins with caring about people and taking an interest in people. Remember, you have to learn to influence people and manage things. A big part of leadership is influence. People don't like to be managed. They don't like to be organized. They don't like to be manipulated. They don't like to be controlled. But they will allow themselves to be influenced. And the only way to have a real strong influence with people is if you're very much interested in them, in their careers, in their life, and in their outcomes. And number seven, no hoarding. Have you seen that show about the hoarders where they're just stacking stuff up in their houses? It's disgusting. So is leaders who hoard things and don't give away things to members of their team. Share your knowledge freely. Share your experiences freely. Share your thoughts freely. Share your ideas freely. Share your opinions while at the same time being open to hear their opinions also. Remember the give-get principle. I've talked about it many times on this show. In order to get something, you have to give something. So your contribution is all your ideas, all your opinions, all your experience, all of your knowledge. Give first in order to get back later. Here's the bottom line. Team leadership is challenging and rewarding. It's probably one of the more difficult things you'll ever do, but it probably pays off better than anything you'll ever do. Doing a few simple things like these seven at an exceptional level can make a huge difference to the results and success that you and your team would like to aspire to. Well, that's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Follow me on Twitter at TonyRichards4 and at ClearVisionDEV. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. 
Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.